This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. Episode 9 of the second season, we welcome Valentin Spies of Viart. We're really happy to welcome Valentin Spies to this episode of the DX Podcast. Valentin is the founder and CEO of iArt, a Basel-based company responsible for some really well-designed and incredibly innovative media projects, ranging from a kinetic facade at the Winter Olympics in Sochi to interactive books for art institutions and a light freeze that has won international acclaim. Now, after having done the last 12 podcast recordings from our respective homes, it is a really huge pleasure to be sitting in the same room as Mirko. Hey, man. Hey, uh, feels weird, doesn't it? It's so weird. And it's an even bigger pleasure that we are able to welcome Valentin to the DX podcast. Hey, hi, guys. Hey. Um, Valentin, would you mind providing the listeners with a short version of your personal path and how you got to where you are right now? Hmm. Yeah, my personal path is actually quite local. I was born in, uh, in the region, in Baselland. And uh, I'm still here <laughs> in the region. Um, yeah, but I'm very happy that we can work internationally now so I can travel and see other places. But yeah, I was born in the region and um, um, yeah, was then kind of traveling through the region to, towards Basel during studying uh, and so on. And um, yeah, I mean, how did I get in this field I'm in now? Actually, this started quite early. Uh, when I was a kid, I was collecting old devices like radios and uh, televisions. And I started to disassemble them to get, in, in get some parts and uh, to build new things. And this was the starting point. And that's still something I'm really enjoying to look into technology, look into different fields, pick things and make something new out of it. And this is actually still one of the core activities at iArt. We are taking things which are available and we kind of use it in another way and uh, yeah, try to make fun, fun things out of it. <laughs> well, that's a, good, that's a good motivation to do anything at all. Um, you studied um, to become an electrical engineer. Um, I wonder what brought you on this track. Was this something that you were always interested in? Obviously, if uh, if you're interested in taking things apart and putting them together again, um, which direction do you believe um, this was going to lead you in? Um, the the path of studying electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. That's that's funny. I mean, actually, before I was going into into this field, I I thought I want to be an artist um, because my brother is an artist. And he's 10 years older than me. And so, I, you know, he was kind of my role model. So I said, yeah, art is cool. That's, you know, you can do what you want. So I thought, yeah, I, I want to be an artist. And, um, but I was always interested in technology because my father is also an engineer or was an engineer. And um, so I was in between these two worlds as a kid. And um, yeah, so I tried to be a photographer or painter or things like that. So I tried different things. So that's why I finally decided to go into technology because I thought, you know, technology could help me to, to get in touch with interesting stuff and also do art probably in the end. Of course. And that's really interesting because I was just, um, I was just thinking that, um, you know, iArt has just recently turned 20. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, 
thinking of the progress that technology and the digital domain in, in general has made in the last 20 years is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I'd be really interested to hear from you what you think the biggest changes you think you have experienced um, in the last 20 years um, and, and how they have influenced your work at iArt. Yeah, th this is a really interesting question because at iArt it was, you know, when there's something which is was always kind of leading us at iArt, it, it was the, the constant change. So we were never staying the same. So iArt was the evolving all the time. So for us it was obvious that we have to change all the time and new things coming up. Um, but the speed is actually what has changed. So I think now, today, you know, so many things um, run in parallel and everything is kind of available. So you can access worldwide information, you can access worldwide resources. Um, and this has changed, actually. You know, before it was kind of tricky to get some parts. I remember uh, one project we did in uh, 20 years ago where we were looking for some special chips from analog device and we couldn't get them. You know, it was it was not uh, it was not possible to get them from the states uh, because there was they were listed on you know being f weapon weapon yeah. technology blah blah. Yeah. So we couldn't get these chips. And today it's quite different. You know, things are much more available. Uh, there's even in especially in the field of software, this has changed dramatically. In the early days, we had to to code our all the stuff ourselves. Today, there's a lot of code bases you can use. So this speeds up everything. And th uh, for me, this is probably, the, the from the pra practical perspective, this is the thing which, ha which has changed dramatically. You know, it's super fast now. Is that a good thing? Yes and no. <laughs> 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 it's, it's a good thing because it, you know, it enables you to, to prototype and, uh, you know, make uh, fast progress. Uh, that's a good thing. And another good thing is that um, a lot of people are doing this, but they forget to think. So they just do things and think that's it. You know, they take a piece of software which is available in, in, in the internet and they do something and they say, wow, that's cool. And then it's, you know, they go, they do not go further. And this is good for us because we don't stop there. Mm -hmm. We say, okay, let's try to understand what happens. You know, what, what really happens now? And then think about the phenomenon and think, oh, maybe we can go even a step further by changing this or adding this. And then, you know, it gets really interesting. And I think this is, uh, um, this is an advantage of iArt and it's probably also an advantage of being in a place like Basel because it's not so super fancy and super, you know, the pace is a bit lower. Uh, we ha still have the time to take two weeks to think about something before we spend 100,000 bucks. So we think a bit ab about it and yeah, we kind of, let's say, make a strategy and then we, we, we iterate in this direction instead of just running, you know, from the beginning. And I think this is an advantage uh, for us. So this kind of, this is how we try to keep away from being exhausted all the time by just doing, 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 doing. Um, yeah, so it's good and bad. I mean, if that things are speeded up is kind of uh, stressful on one hand, but on the other hand, it also differentiates us from others. Mm, absolutely. 
Um, this is going really fast. Um, I'd just like to take a, a step or two back to um, you having finished your uh, degree as an electrical engineer. Um, what, what then kind of led you on the track to become um, a founder of a company that then goes on to produce these um, super complex uh, solutions um, in, in the technological, uh, technological and also kind of art architectural kind of field? Mm -hmm. what co and, what? and can I also ask, what year was this, just for a bit of context? Say it again, please. What year was this when you, yes. when you finish your studies? Uh, the, well, good point. It was <laughs> 1998, maybe. I'm not sure. Something yeah. like that. So a different era. So the exactly. Uh, IART was founded in 2001, January 2001, and yeah, I mean, before when after after studying, I was in in the industry. I was doing, I was developing uh, equipment for. EMC um, tests, which is very special field. It's like uh, electromagnetical um, uh, tests, like uh, uh, lightning strokes, lightning, and things like that. And um, it's super techno. It's a super super niche actually, but it's really interesting technology wise. It's really interesting. And as a hobby, I was supporting um, friends, artists mm -hmm. doing their artworks. Uh, and um, yeah, through my brother and and um, my cousin, who was a member of of Le Reine Prochaine and the uh, Via, mm -hmm. which was a um, um, collective art collective here in Basel, audiovisual art collective. Uh, I started as a teenager to support them doing art, like you know, playing around with video equipment, um, making things interactive. Um, yeah, in the beginning it was mainly analog video at this time, mm -hmm. so it was still umatic and Betamax and all that stuff. <laughs> and I was doing synchronize uh, uh, computer controls to synchronize the videos and you know make them interactive and so on. So yeah, this was my teenage hobby. Uh, and at some point, I realized that this hobby could probably be my profession. So. This was the day when I thought, okay, let's switch, you know, <laughs> because I spent, uh, I w this time it was probably 80% in, in my job and another 100% as a hobby. <laughs> so why not, you know, switching? And that was the point in 2001 where I decided to make a company called iArt, uh, which was, um, yeah, art realization mainly. So my clients were always artists and I helped them to realize their uh, media artworks, mainly in the field of uh, art and building projects. Okay. So, you know, bigger projects, which where there is also um, an architect involved. So this is actually also the link to the architects quite early. And I believe like um, currently we're in uh, at a really interesting intersection. Um, I think in some cases it may be that we are simply overusing um, digital gadgets and, and um, you know, using these, these uh, really kind of innovative solutions just for the sake of it, because we can, so to say, um, believing that this will define the user experience yet. And this is you know, just me talking. Um, and like, I think they should only enhance our perception rather than define it, um, which I think um, IR does incredibly well. Um, 
I, I have no idea how your process works. <laughs> um, and it's something that I'd be really interested to, to hear from you. Um, you often seem to find the right way to introduce these like really incredibly innovative uh, installations in a way that is um, that creates a seamless user experience as well. Mm -hmm. um, how do you explain making this possible? I mean, the, I think the key, the key aspect is that we are not driven by technology. It's not, IART is not a company driven by technology. We do not try to push a specific technology. It's always the other way around. So there's a vision, there's an idea, there's a, an artist request, there is a creative process, and then suddenly there is a, an idea, and then we try to build this idea based on technology. But the technology is always, it's always a pragmatic way of using technology. It's not about, yeah, that's cool, that's new, that's super fancy. Well, how could we use this technology? You know, it's not, that's not the way. It's t totally the other way around. And this was actually from the beginning and it's still the DNA that we say, okay, we are really skilled in technology. We have half of the 55 uh, employees are, have an engineering background. So we are really into that, but it's not that we try to push things. If let's say painting a wall is the better solution than using any you know, fancy screen technology, we paint the wall. So be because it doesn't make sense you know, to push uh, everything. Good. That's uh, what I actually was <laughs> looking to. <hear. laughs> I, ha I brought a picture. You know, this this is was the first time I used a computer. <laughs> I, I, it's 1985. It's the first computer-controlled um, light show computer based on a Commodore VC20. And uh, you see here, there's a. You see these dots here. This, these dots are a light sculpture on on. In a, in a disco, actually, in uh -huh. a um, teenager disco. Uh, and we built with some with some friends, we, we built the interior of this disco, and one part was this first, by us, first uh, computer-controlled light show. So that was in the 1990s, is that correct? 1985. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, so um, for, for our listeners, um, we'll, we'll try to find a way to share this image with you. Um, it's interesting showing images on a actually podcast. We've never tried that before. Yeah, actually, this is analog image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll even have to scan it in before we can attach it to show art Need or something. Yeah. But for the listeners at home, imagine just a huge machine with lots of clunky buttons and a tiny screen on top. An orange screen. This time, this was a monochromatic orange screen. An analog user interface. Can you yeah. imagine that? <laughs> I, w I was wondering, actually, how often did you get shocked by, by uh, analog monitors when you were taking them apart? Because uh, they can be pretty dangerous, <laughs> right? Never yes, happened? Yes, yeah, you, you need to wait uh, a while before you disassemble it, often, uh. often block it off. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, in the end, we made, uh, made fun out of a crashing... Um, uh, CRT tubes because they are under vacuum, yeah. and so this was just fun to, to destroy them because we couldn't use the, the CRT tubes are useless. I mean, it's it's a it's a TV, but if you don't want to do a TV, it's it's useless. So we are we were looking for the other parts, you know, inside, uh, yeah. and we just disassembled all the stuff and built something new out of it because, yeah, TV was not so interesting as a concept. Um, and so creating these, these digital experiences that have never been done before, um, you have a huge <coughs> risk um, also that like, 
it might not work out in the end. Um, how, how on earth do you start out with these ideas um, or visions, uh, as you said before, that you can actually make into something that actually really will be executable um, ultimately? I'm not sure if I get your question correctly, but uh, let's say, take it from this side. Uh, the, 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 I mean, a vision is something which is totally independent of a realization question, For first of all. Uh, just to give you an example, um, I was working with a group of um, um, a dance theater group, and this dance theater group uh, tried to um, work in the field, or try to make a sofa dance. So this was the challenge. They asked me, can you do a dancing sofa? I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try. Why not? And uh, yeah, so th this is, you know, this is something comes up and yeah, we want a dancing sofa. And then, yeah, we tried around with pneumatic systems and so yeah, you start from, from a vision or a crazy idea and then you go in a direction and then something something happens. It's always a question of the process. It's always, and then maybe the, I, I mean, in this case, it was also that the, the team then understood how can you interact with a dancing sofa because it's not obvious how a dancer can interact with a dancing sofa um, and things like that. You know, it's always evolving during the process. If you go, if you want to go into a new direction, it's always a question of of try and error, and that's something you have to. I mean, this is what I learned in the field of art, that it's that you need this kind of uh, open, openness to, to really fail and just do tests and do it again and do it again. And I think many, many fields or many disciplines lost this, uh, yeah, this concept of failing mm -hmm. because it's, it's a part of the game. You need to fail. You have to do things and then see, oh, pff, uh, yeah, it was a nice idea, but it doesn't work. People don't understand it, you know. For example, when it comes to interaction, mm -hmm. it's a fancy idea, you know, from the top, let's say, top view. As soon as you're in, it feels like, eh, how does this work? You know, it's not, it's not understandable. So it's often often that we, we try things and then we fail and we do it again and we do it another way. And, yeah, and I think this is, this is the second very important aspect that we need collaborators and f finally clients which are willing to take the risk to fail but what we say is let's try to fail early and, not, and that's the goal you know yeah. small fails mitigating risk along the way i guess yeah. absolutely it's absolutely it's, it's, that's the point but failing has to be part of the game because otherwise nothing happens I, I know how it works with us, um, or sometimes doesn't work, <laughs> for that matter. Um, but in in our digital domain, it, it's I have the the kind of the idea that these kind of mistakes might be easier to fix because you're not actually building something physical. So you can basically do the the Apple Z function, go back <laughs> a couple of steps. Um, Mirko's uh, looking a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we have version control, but there's a surprising amount of undo. Yeah, just yeah. Apple Z. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which you can't do when you're when you're building something um, uh, in early stages, maybe more than in later stages. Absolutely. Yeah, but still, this needs to be part of 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 the process. I mean, we at uh, at IART or at Flugstock at uh, Dreispitz in our studio, we have a lot of infrastructure 
just for that you have a stage to stage things to build things uh, where you also could, can do it in, in, in one-to-one scale uh, we have a workshop we have a lab we have electronic lab software lab everything there and there's a lot of equipment around just to play with you know mm. because you need that and yeah and that means it's it's part of the process to fail and then so I mean we have a lot of fancy stuff at IR you know like all these kind of crazy tools which are used once and then we realized yeah no <laughs> it's not the right thing and now it's kind of um, oh man yeah. I'm lo- I'm losing Mirko here your eyes are glazing <laughs> over oh no <laughs> not, yeah. not at all not at all no I mean in, uh, where Wondrous <laughs> is losing Mirko <laughs> no yeah, yeah my, no. Eyes are, my eyes are getting shiny and interested yeah <laughs> show me where I can solder stuff for a living you know some some weeks ago I, I, wa- I was look I was looking for something at an, in our storage and I found a, a cardboard box full of head-mounted displays, different generations of head-mounted displays. I was shocked. I said, wow, shit, there is a OLED-based head-mounted display from uh, 2005 or something like that. I said, wow, crazy. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, it's, it's useless today because mm. the technology is, yeah, it's far, far further than this. But, you know, we did all that stuff in the very early moment and we realized yeah it's not there yet you know uh, let's do it in a box <laughs> it sounds like you might be the the cno like the chief nerd officer <laughs> or something um having uh come from that background and and it sounds like you uh you have a very um playful uh, atmosphere and i think that's one thing that um i read about recently um there's a an english comedian called uh, john cleese mm-hmm. um funny guy um, and he has his theory about uh, creativity, also that you need a lot of space to be able to try stuff out. Um, some people might call it procrastinating. <laughs> um, designers and engineers, sounds like, um, think it's uh, playtime and uh, where you kind of um, figure stuff out along the way. Um, so that kind of makes a lot of sense. It was also a nice moment for me when I realized I wasn't procrastinating. I was just kind of filling my head with ideas <laughs> or solving a problem somehow along the way. Um, so in 2015, um, you also founded uh, Flockstock. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about <coughs> that, please? Or a lot, as much <laughs> as you want, really. I mean, there's a, there's a direct link to what I said before. Um, you, you were t- and what you said, actually, with the, with the space, actually, the, the idea of... Um, founding Flugstock was based on exactly this concept that we said, okay, we need a space which fulfills all our needs. And um, uh, these days we, we had our office at, in um, uh, St. Johann in, a, in, a, in actually three different buildings, very close to each other, but in tiny rooms. I mean, it's like uh, apartment rooms and we had, you know, in third floor, second floor, first floor and in the kind of in the garage there was a w- workshop and in another house w- where originally was a, a shop there was a lab and so on so everything was dis- distributed and so we said okay wha- how would uh, the, the ideal infrastructure look like uh, and then we were looking you know we made a concept yeah um, or we listed the requirements and then we were actually looking for a space like that and um the flux concept, flux concept was actually born by th- by this brief, 
Uh, and then finally, we found a space in at uh, Dreispitz, which is actually a totally open space. It was an old uh, storage house, mm -hmm. uh, just open open floors, and this was ideal for us because we knew that everything has to be flexible, because you know what we think is needed today is probably not what is needed in in a year. So mm -hmm. we have to build something which is super flexible to be changed and everything, and. Yeah, that's actually where, where the idea of Fluxdog was born. And it's not only about space, it's also about collaboration. Because at this um, uh, stage, we were, were already collaborating with a lot of different people from you know art, artists, architects from around the world. And we knew that also bringing in other creative people in the same space could help a lot to improve work. You know that you have exchanged that you not necessarily working with them in in every project, but having this different perspective in the same space. So it was obvious that we are not building a space for for us only. So it had, has to be bigger. And uh, so finally, we have space for about ninety people, including all these other infrastructures like um, stage labs and, and stuff. And yeah, and the main thing actually when you enter the, the Fluxdog at Dreispitz is that you directly walk towards the, um, the stage, which is actually the place where we show uh, or do the tests with our prototypes. And this is in the center of everything. So every day, more or less, you're confronted with, with, with some examples of outcomes, let's say, or iterations of, of, of projects, because that's all about, you know, it's not about paper, it's not about VC conferences, it's about building things in the end, you know, mm -hmm. make it physical, make it, um, uh, yeah, building these uh, kind of experiences. And so that's also was very important for us that the, the gravitation of the space has to be the place where things happen. Mm. And, you know, and so this, these are where the core, the core ideas of, of uh, building a space like Fluxdoc Having flexible infrastructure, having enough space, it's also, it's luxury, yes, it is, but it's also gives you the, uh, also the space, the headroom to think about things, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and the other thing is, yeah, bringing people together. And, we, you know, we often have the, uh, the, the case that we collaborate with, uh, for example, uh, the team of Asif Khan, an architect uh, based in London. And normally when we work with them, they fly to Switzerland and they stay with us for, let's say, initial two weeks to set up the project. You know, we, talk, we discuss things in the morning, in the afternoon we start building a prototype. So this is another way of working, and they really enjoy that, to, to have this kind of interaction. And after that in initialization, let's say, we, we, we go our, into our offices again, or they go in their offices, uh, and then, but there is a kind of uh, initial spirit is set, so you can start to collaborate over internet and everything. But to have this physical interaction in space with with physical objects, with with um, yeah, with also social aspects, this is super super important. And that was the goal to have build this kind of space where this this can happen, and even can happen by accident, so that you talk to someone sitting next to you uh, at lunchtime and you tell about your, you know, what you're thinking about and then the guy says, hey, I'm, I'm a um, uh, geomatic engineer 
<laughs> I have had a similar problem when I was doing drilling a hole, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's crazy. Sometimes things happen. Um, you'd never expect, you would never expect. Yeah, bringing people together um, uh, will accelerate um, cross-pollination, I think they call it. Yeah, um, bringing, bringing these ideas together and all these uh, different mindsets as well. Um, thanks for that. Um, and you're moving into the Caserne. No, that's not, that's not correct. It's actually an expansion. Okay. It's Flugstock Dreispitz will stay, and there will be an additional space um, in at Caserne with a different footprint, let's say. Mm-hmm. I mean, the building is very different, you know. It's of course, a yeah. historic building. It's a totally other setup, a different setup. And what is also different is the mixed uh, mixture of um, let's say the users or people uh, staying there or working there. So it's also a bit shifted away from this is more creative industry um, related at, at Reispitz and in, in um, Flugstock Kaserne it will be more cultural e- event um, oriented organizations, NGOs okay. in different fields. So it's a bit an, a shift. But um, I'm I'm very happy that we we can do that, and I'm I for me it's it's really um, a big step uh, on one hand, but it's also a big um, it gives us a certain freedom to to try to go to change from um, how can I say that you know the NGO approach is has has a lot of advantages when it comes to collaboration because NGOs are normally not so driven by by a client who gives gives uh, gives you the, let's say the pace and the money and, and you know it's not like this kind of constant pushing uh, you have a bit more freedom of of, of uh, exploration and this is uh, something we I hope will happen at the caserne that there is even more uh, space for um, in- interdisciplinarity when it comes to, you know, you probably combine an event-oriented uh, cultural institution with, let's say, a peacemaking organization. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, or, or an NGO in the field of uh, sustainability with someone in culture. And this is actually what I hope, that we can even go one step further in, in building bridges uh, from very different fields. Uh, yeah, this is, this is my hope. Cool, and building a community at the same time. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, we have uh, at, at uh, uh, Caserne, we have uh, wonderful spaces you, to do events. So it's, it's also an event space, you know. At, at uh, Dreispitz, we sometimes do small events, but it's not, it's not really... And, you know, it's more about a working environment. Mm. But at Caserne, you know, there are cr- wonderful rooms. There's so much going everything. on there already, no? right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is also nice because it, it brings another quality to this, to this area, to the Caserne areal. Um, uh, probably also another audience. But there is already a certain gra- gravity by the space. And, the, you know, the, the, the Rhine and course, summer. Yeah. And yeah. Because now it's also bridging these, the... the the Caserne plots with the Rhine, exactly, you know, because yeah. the building is actually the, the connection. Mm. So you go through the building and you can see what happens inside and, and so on. I think this is a big advantage. Plus, 
uh, you get free entry to the tattoo every <laughs> year. <laughs> if, if that's something you want, yeah. <laughs> Cool. No, I'm as a local. I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen down there. You'll have some new restaurants. You'll have, like there's there's already a thirty-ish artist studios um, in in the one side of the. Um, it's not the Hauptbau. It's it's one of the yeah. the side bits. I'm not sure what you call it. But then you obviously also have this huge music venue, where they also have theater and they also have uh, different types of performances. Um, and then, yeah, many different restaurants and bars. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. See, I, I didn't even know that was all happening. I mean, I read about it, but it's <laughs> like the, it's weird times, isn't it? It's like, oh, we're already there. They're finished now. <laughs> this is open. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yet. In this case, so you didn't miss it. Yeah. Well, the all flow, right. the flow of information has has gone in 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 different directions now. Of course, um, due to due to COVID and what what has happened there, um, we we have our channels where we get stuff. But like, ha like sitting next to each other in the office and talking about these kind of things, that seems like it's um, in, like uh, in the past somehow. But it's coming back again, and I'm glad we get to talk about these kind of things on the podcast at least. <laughs> Um, yeah. from a from a Basler perspective uh, good stuff good stuff happening um cool that's really exciting um one thing that I was uh, wondering um, before and and there's always a project envy at least there is uh, on my side are there like any current projects out there that that you as as the founder of iArt and creator of these very kind of innovative um, media installations that you're jealous of that you wish uh, you'd have come up with yourselves? Hmm. <laughs> there's, uh, there's plenty of nice projects. Uh, you know, it, it's... it's yeah, To give you an example, we are currently... I can't tell you exactly what, what it's, uh, it's about, but we are currently working on a project. And uh, yesterday, the team was, was kind of doing a mood board. Um, and... Yeah, they were, I was, whoa, what's that? And what's that? And what's that? And, you know, it's crazy what's going on. That's, you know, there's so many things going on and so many very creative teams all around the world. And this is, uh, I mean, for me, this is this is not a challenge or I don't see it in a, in a negative way. It That's what uh, maybe also the, same, the, the point we had before, you know, regarding the acceleration, because, you know, everything... A lot of things go in parallel. Even ideas, you know, are same time three three installations somewhere in the world, and you think, "Wow, shit, that's almost the same," yeah. you know. But th that's how it is today, and I think this is not something which, yeah, irritates me. It's like, I yeah, and sometimes I even get in touch with these people and say, "Hey, guys, w w what are you doing and why yeah. are you going this direction and so it's often it's a nice exchange also with these people and sometimes it's super surprising that they go come from a very different direction but go in a in come uh, come to the same or a similar result mm -hmm. and this is inspiring in the end i don't see it as a as a problem uh and yeah so i'm not uh, i mean sometimes it's uh, it's let's say it goes in another direction then it's really when someone starts to copy things yeah i mean yeah. this happens also but yeah i mean this is ridiculous normally of course um no that's that's interesting because uh, well, i mean it's competition is obviously also good for the market um it'll give uh, what you're doing a little bit more um 
transparency also in in for for marketing reasons may maybe i don't know yeah um so what um essentially would be your favorite type of project to work on what would be the ideal brief mm -hmm. Th that's um that's a question i ask myself quite often <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually i can, can give you some ingredients which are um let's say necessary that it's um that's really something interesting for for us or for me main the main aspect is collaboration with open and uh, creative people mm -hmm. so it's all about the team it's who is the client is the client open enough to not just giving us a brief and then it you know we have it's there's uh, no communication till till the end of the project or is the client someone who really wants to be part of the of the game mm. and we are we need clients who are open to collaborate and open to to work with us we so sometimes say that it's quite exhausting for the clients to work with IOT because we are asking a lot of questions we mm -hmm. are asking him to come every second week to see and review with us mm. things and so it's yeah it's exhausting for, for the client to to interact with us and that's one main aspect interesting clients with with uh, with a certain openness and um uh certain yeah and they need to be brave because they take have to take some risks that's one thing and and then it's also about you know what what is what is the story we are telling together you know it's super relevant um yeah what's the story behind is it about explaining the people how i don't know the universe uh, works mm -hmm. or is it about telling people that the, um, the desert that there is life in the desert <laughs> and they should take care of of the desert it's not just sand you know these kind of things it's super relevant uh, what is the goal of of the things we are doing uh and um we there has to be a, a identification with with the storyline yeah. otherwise it it's not a good project for us. So I'm uh, amazed that you not in one word would mention the budget. <laughs> it's like the financial uh, math like is is one part, but I think like being within uh, specific parameters um, maybe make you even more creative because you need to find a solution that would fit within a small budget. Maybe also, and uh, what's easier, big budget or small budget? Oh, that's maybe not yeah. something that you want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, the question is what is big and what is small. To be honest, there is a certain limit when it comes to small budgets. Uh, and this is more based on the fact how we work, uh, that if the project is too small, we probably can't do it yeah. because you know our agile approach um, needs a certain structure, hmm. and this structure means human resources. Means you know you have a, a PO, we call it the PO, the, uh, the project owner. You have a team, and you have a scrum master. This is the minimum setup. So, if client comes and says, "I have a small project. It's a small thing. You can do it in a couple of weeks," it's still at IR, still up to minimum five people are working on this project mm -hmm. so you spend let's say two weeks five people working on this project uh, 
Yeah. So it's um, that results in the minimum budget. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So. But I, that's really interesting, and I think yeah, that's uh, the same uh, issue that a lot of agencies um, or companies in our size um, would have. Um, one thing that um, I'm also very interested in: uh, have there, like, there have obviously been many highlights uh, within your your path um, in your career with with um, iArt and before, of course. Um, any that stand out um, right now? Any that you're particularly proud of? Yes, sure. There's there's some things. Uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Let's say some are. I'm very proud of, proud of that we were able to manage to make it happen under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's take, for example, the Soti project, yes. which yeah. was crazy. You know, in all all the conditions we had. You know, make it in 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 Russia, make it under these uh, conditions in this time frame. Um, yeah, so this this I'm very proud that this was possible to make it, uh, and also, you know, it, this is for example a nice uh, example to show the idea of making a kinetic facade, three-dimensional facade is quite obvious. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, often heard in the beginning when we, we started working on this project, a lot of people said, "Ah, I have seen this. Uh, you know, that's, that's already done," <laughs> and I said. Show me where, where where did you see it? And then it was a fake video somewhere on YouTube. Okay, uh, the idea is so is super obvious, mm. but to make it happen in this scale, this is another challenge. Yeah. And this is actually what differentiates often uh, these kind of technology uh, with a, with a lot of technological challenges uh, projects to make them happen. You know that that's the point. You know um, we call it what's the English word for that? Umsetzungskompetenz. Oh, competence. Um, uh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Be, being able to finish the whole thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. delivering, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and 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 applying that certain polish that you apply too, that exactly, it's, that it's done exactly. well in the end. It's exactly. not just there. Yeah, and I'm exactly. actually very impressed by just your you, all your work has, has a physical component to it. Um, you talked about that before we started recording. That's like one of the main things. It's never just digital. Mm -hmm. And I, I I just can't imagine. <laughs> all my work is is on a ends up on a screen somewhere, it's a website, it's a web application, whatever. Uh, but just having that physical component, I mean, even just building the things. You Again, before we started recording, you mentioned a project you're working on currently. Um, I don't know how much you want to talk about what it is exactly, but you mentioned like industrial scale of, of manufacturing small parts. Mm -hmm. That's just amazing. And, and how... Like, how often does that happen that you have to, like, actually, like, you can't get something off the shelf. You have to design it yourself and have it built yourself on an industrial scale. Is that, is that something that happens with every project, or is that? Not with, ev with every project, but with many projects, because as soon as you have a certain, um, let's say, quantity, let's say you have uh, 100,000 uh, units uh, installed on at the building or something like that, then you need to go into this industrial field because you, you can't manufacture 100,000 or let's say ten, even 10,000 10, red cells for the Shanghai Pavilion for the World Expo. You can't do them by hand. So you need an industrial process to do that, and which means you have to go in into this field. And if you want to, let's say, elaborate the thing in, in the way we normally do, 
you have to understand the full process of how it's made. And uh, especially in th this case, and this is actually a concept we established now and we do it um, always, is that we, we go into the factories. So our team is actually working with the factories directly, even when they are in, in China, some of them. We go there and try to, to um, get the maximum out of this process. And this is the only way of you know, keeping the things under control. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, at some point, you're, you're lost. Because you know, we, we have an internal saying, uh, um, we want to have all the knowledge to never get into the situation that someone tells us that it doesn't work and we can't judge it. And this is the goal. So to go as deep as needed to say, okay, no, you're wrong. It's work. It's possible. You have to do it. You have just to twist that, and then it works. <laughs> you know, and that's actually our goal: never to be in the situation that someone says, "No, this doesn't work," and we can't judge. Good point. So, what kind of themes are you currently working on that you're really excited about? Yeah, currently we have local projects as we have an uh, international project but we have very nice local projects which is nice during this phase of still being kind of uh, blocked to travel everywhere um, there's one thing uh, we are currently doing for the Kunstmuseum which is a let's call it a pilot project with a totally new system it's uh, it's about AR audio um, we are building um, uh, audio experience in as a part of uh, a Pizarro uh, exhibition at, at the Kunstmuseum with Moritz Fehr, a, a German-based uh, audio artist. And what you actually will experience is uh, totally uh, location and orientation-based audio environment. So we render audio sources in the space um, on your headphone based on uh, localization information. So we exactly know where you are in the space um, and we know where, where you are looking at. Uh, so based on this information, we virtually render audio sources into this gallery. And that's what you actually will experience, um, which gives a uh, super immersive um, a new layer to this exhibition. So the exhibition in itself is, is for sure um, a, a wonderful experience, but in this case, Moritz Fair will add another layer, an audio-based layer, to actually bring you into a, a new world, or a new context of, of uh, these artworks. One, th one thing that you obviously can't see um, because uh, we're audio here is that I'm shaking my head in <laughs> awe. I, I, I really want to go and uh, kind of live through that experience myself right now, especially also because Pizarro's uh, paintings are so special as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anything oh. else that you... And uh, wh when is that opening? Uh, sec second of... Fourth of September. Oh, so very soon. Very cool. soon, yeah. We are yeah. very busy with finalizing everything, and uh, but it's uh, it's actually a first step for us because this what we will show there. This uh, system is um, is based on a Inno Swiss um, project with the Fachhochschule Nordwestschweiz, mm -hmm. the, the music department of the Fachhochschule, okay. 
uh, they helped us to develop the, the, the algorithm and um, yeah, that's the first step. But I think this technology has huge potential in also other contexts than exhibitions. Could be even in the public space or yeah, in other spaces. So I think this is the starting point of a new journey cool. with audio. Okay, cool. Um, and you mentioned uh, another project that was that is happening in Basel right now as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's more physical in this <laughs> sense. It's uh, the, the Novartis Pavilion as a part of the um, uh, extension of the campus of Novartis. It's actually inside the park in front of uh, the campus. Uh, um, it's a building designed by Michele De Lucchi, Italian-based uh, architect, and we are in charge of um, building a membrane on top of the facade, which is a organic photovoltaic media facade. Or to say in other words, it's a zero energy media facade. So the, the energy uh, is produced by the facade and used to illuminate um, the facade itself. Um, yeah, there's a lot of new technologies uh, involved, uh, especially the, the organic photovoltaic, which is a super powerful and uh, technology. Not uh, because it's super efficient, it's less efficient than uh, silicon-based uh, photovoltaic, but it gives us the freedom of design so we can change the shapes we can uh, adapt um, um, the colors and so on so there's a lot of advantages when it comes to design with this technology and uh, i think we managed to make something you know photovoltaic is normally ugly everything you know on the roofs you see this is not it's not about design normally it's about you know sustainability and we try to kind of bring this in into the design field to work with uh, zero energy or even positive energy um, buildings with a design approach. And I think this is something, uh, it's a first, also first uh, step we do, but it's, there's a lot of potential. And I think we can show that, um, yeah, that this is possible. And we're really proud actually that we already won uh, no award with it. <laughs> it's <laughs> not even finished, and uh, we've won already an award, uh, the Media Architecture Award from the Media Architecture Biennale. And yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to um, uh, to see it in, in in the full scale. Or in, uh, it's it's under construction now, and probably end of the year it's it's done. And next year there will be even the next uh, another step. Uh, then we uh, will finalize the exhibition inside this uh, pavilion, which is a collaboration with uh, Atelier Brückner from Stuttgart. And we are also in charge of um, realizing this, this ex ex exhibition inside the space. And um, yeah, that's the other step. Cool. I mean, for me, it's, it's so interesting to see that there's so much uh, innovation coming out of the arts and architecture field as well. Um, you know, the, 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 the field of architecture being uh, such a creative field as well, and it's combining um, you know, what the, the client would like with maybe um, a vision that the, the architect would have, and combining that with these kind of innovative approaches sounds uh, in, like the perfect way to... Like, actually execute it at the end of the day and you'll have a lot of um, results coming out of that as well and hopefully um, some some really kind of sustainable um, innovations that will one would be able to bring to the mass market as well potentially 
Is that something that you'd be excited about? Absolutely. I mean, what we are doing here is uh, pioneering work for sure, because it's, um, you know, we are suffering of, uh, or yeah, it's really hard to, to use these new technologies and to bring in, to bring them to a level that it's, you know, a, fa a facade is something you're built for at least uh, 10 to 20 years. It's not about, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like an exhibition you do for a couple of weeks. So there are a lot of challenges which, ha which have to be solved before these things can be used uh, in, uh, in, yeah, in a, let's say, more common project. But I, I'm, I think this is actually our, this is our uh, contribution to sustainability, that we try now to push these things which are there, you know, these technologies, it's, it's there. Mm -hmm. uh, this, and we, we take the risk now to make it happen for the first time and hope that then others will follow. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. What I'd be really interested in is where you believe, um, A, uh, your path may lead, and B, um, the path of, of IART, which, which uh, direction this, this might lead. Mm -hmm. Regarding the, let's say, the challenges in, in the market and so on, I think we, ha we have a very good strategy now. We, we we're working on the strategy quite uh, intensively in the, in the last year, and um, it's kind of obvious that out of Switzerland, it's really uh, challenging to to stay in this market, to be a player in this market. Um, but um, we, we are convinced that it's possible to work out of Switzerland in this field. And um, yeah, we, as I said, I think there is also some advantages to be here and to be in a more calm and a more, uh, let's say, relaxed uh, environment. And um, yeah, but um, for us, it's totally obvious that um, innovation is the key. So we have to be um, kind of a top company in this field. Uh, if you lose track or lose um, our, um, how do you say, we still are probably in some fields we are quite strong and we try to keep that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that's, that's the way to go. And um, I'm quite convinced that this this is possible. And I said at the word I said before, the Umsetzungskompetenz is one of the of, of the key factors. So that we are not just having nice ideas uh, or nice uh, cool visions, that we can make them happen. And this is actually what we call is innovation. Innovation is making things happen, making crazy things happen. Mm. That's innovation. Just to talk about and make fa fancy sketches, it's not, not, that's not innovation. Cool. Thank you so much for that. Um, actually, I have, I have two thank yous, I think, to say. Firstly, um, thank you for sticking around uh, Basel with iArt when I believe it would have been presumably much easier for you to go elsewhere and to, to find qualified employees. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, I think uh, iArt has been... Uh, um, you know, a big positive um, thing for Basel um, and, and what we see happening around the cities that has come out of your, um, your office um, has been fantastic. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for having been our guest today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. We have reached the end of this Digital Experience podcast. Thanks for listening. For further information about us, please head over to weawondrous.com.